Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. This is the Drivers Meeting Podcast, hosted by RJ Starcevic and driver and team owner in the NASCAR Xfinity Series, Tommy Joe Martins. to the driver's meeting podcast getting ready for a week full of practice and qualifying at circuit of the americas which uh, we're all excited for and uh, we'll give you a quick word from our sponsor real quick bet online uh, the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action they have you covered for all this news scores and odds it's the best way to place your bets and it's free to sign up so head to the website betonline.ag or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50 percent welcome bonus on your first deposit bet online your online sportsbook experts so I'm really excited about Circuit of the Americas this week. I know for you, it is a nice little milestone. You're making your 100th career Xfinity Series start, correct? Yeah, 100. Uh, how uh, how time flies. Or, or in my case, uh, it very, creeps very slowly to get to 100. Um, this is 100 starts over the course of, really, my Xfinity debut was in 2014. So this is 100 starts over the course of seven years. Um, guys that are actually in the series racing all the time, they get there in about three years. So uh, it's, yeah. it's taken me a pretty long time, but uh, it makes it, uh, it puts things in perspective, uh, RJ. So I'm, I'm very, very blessed uh, to be able to, to be out here and racing all the time. And you got a nice little decal on the car, don't you? Right on the, we, uh, we, we the do uh, our designer, Ryan Pastana did a, did a very nice thing designing that. So we'll be running that on the race car and it means a lot to me and, uh, and my family and the whole team. Awesome. So yeah, this Xfinity race, I'm excited for, I'm excited for the whole weekend, but yeah, this Xfinity race, we got obviously over 40 car field. We're going to have practice and qualifying drivers are going to have to race their way in. We got some ringers, uh, there, uh, a lot, a good amount of ringers. Uh, I'll read the list off here. We got cup guys and ringers coming out like Harvick, uh, Cole Custer, which, I, I do really like that. I think I mentioned that a, a little bit ago. I, I like the idea of, of Harvick and Custer coming and running like, right. They're running, obviously, SHR um, paired cars, but they're under the banner of BJ McLeod and Rick Ware. So we all can sit here and fantasize um, <laughs> about BJ McLeod or Rick Ware ending up in victory lane or getting a nice solid top five. Um, sure. we, got, <laughs> we got Boris said. Making his return, Miguel Paluto, Andy Lally, Chris Wright, uh, Stephen Light, uh, Preston Partis, some of the some of the road ringers coming out for this weekend. So we're sending about, I believe, what seven cars home for the Xfinity race, six or yeah, seven. So. Yeah, it's, uh, we have forty three entries, so seven guys are going home. Yeah, because we start thirty six, dude. So everybody uh, remember that that when we have qualifying, we start thirty six. When we don't, we'll start forty. Or if it gets rained out like Daytona. Uh, you start 40. So that'll be interesting. You guys in the Martins Motorsports Group have put yourself in a good position, a very good position points where you don't really have to worry about that. Supposedly. (laughs) So uh, we were just on a team call where they announced that even if it is raining during qualifying, we are still going to try to qualify, which is a first uh, for the Xfinity Series. 
excuse me, as far as I'm concerned. So that's going to be that's going to be uh, kind of an interesting deal there if we're running uh, in the weather and qualifying. Uh, it won't be the first time that I think the Xfinity Series has ever done that. I think in Montreal, um, I think there was a qualifying session in the rain up there. So uh, still uh, a level of challenge that is going to be really uh, difficult, uh, not just driving, but also I don't know how you officiate that. What happens if it starts drying out? Um, you know, what happens if it's if it's wet, but not not that wet? Do you make everybody stay on slicks? Because we're going to go through uh, inspection on slicks. So, you know, that's not normal that we would get to change the tires uh, on the car. So that's going to add a level of uh, a level of difficulty to this. And then it's like, well, what happens if it's drying up? Then it turns into a Formula One session, where is everybody going to try to cut a lap at the very end? You're going to have 43 cars on track, all trying to get a hole. Uh, so that's that's going to be pretty interesting. Um, yeah, and you got guys that are go or go home. You got several guys that are go or go home. Uh, we're up there in the points, but I just think about how goofy a rain session can get, RJ. I mean, that, the points are no guarantee of anything at that point. I mean, you got guys – flying off the racetrack got you know the provisionals throw them out the window at that point you might have five cars in the top 10 in points that, that miss uh if they make mistakes on a wet racetrack so uh yeah we're, we're not going there thinking anything other than we need to go put the car in the, in the show uh at coda yeah um i know in, in nascar they have where like during the race if it starts raining they you know bring everybody to pit road and have a stop and have a caution for for the change even if it's just a little sense of rain at these road courses you know but yeah that that is a good um thought of what the, what we would do for qualifying or if it would be like an f1 session i don't know if it'll be chaos i feel like we'll see chaos a lot this weekend in an um, f1 session they're open to change tires we, yeah. we are not allowed to jack the car up at all um during a qualifying session that that is an unapproved adjustment anything that we do uh, so it invalidates all your times so is that something that was asked and the meeting? it was not really brought up and that's something that honestly when i hopped on uh with us it's i was like oh well i need to probably follow up with that like how does how does that look if it's a mixed session because chances are that's what it's going to be um, if there is rain in the area, there might be rain on one part of the track and, and it's dry somewhere else. Um, and I'm not saying we shouldn't qualify. That's not what I'm saying. If that's the decision NASCAR wants to make, they want us to qualify. I get there's a lot of teams that have a lot riding on this. Um, I get that part of it. But there are there are some questions there as to well, how in the world that's going to play out um, if it is kind of an in-between session or if the the conditions are changing over the course of the session. Um, let's say that it's it's just really cloudy and now we're on slicks and maybe it's not raining for the first five minutes. Will NASCAR sit there and be like, well, hey, everybody had a chance to go make a lap. Uh, well, you kind of, I guess technically you did, but chances are you're probably on a track that was very crowded um, and maybe you didn't get a good lap in. Uh, so it just, it opens up to a lot of, a lot of weird possibilities um that i don't think we're really counting for and look man i've been a part of some really shitty qualifying sessions in the history of the xfinity series uh where some really goofy stuff has happened um that has cost me a lot of money and other guys a lot of money where the daytona 
speedway qualifying stuff. And the theory was that they were never going to qualify in a mixed situation because of exactly what I'm talking about, right? That's too many factors uh, to really call it a fair qualifying session. Uh, but at the same time, I get that this is a weird time. And you got a lot of teams that haven't even been able to race this year. I say a lot, it's two. Yeah. But you got some teams that haven't had a chance and they want to get them a chance. You know, I, I get all the factors in this. It just that that is a can of worms there. <laughs> We're gonna probably open up on Saturday. I'm just hoping it's clear skies. That's what I want. Just be clear. Just be clear skies and let's go qualify. Yeah. I, I was looking at the weather. It wasn't it, I mean, it looks like there's a chance of rain, not a horrible chance of rain. Who know who knows? It could always clear out or come through, or like I said, that track is so massive, you never know. It could be rain on one half and clear on the other half. You never know. But one thing that I'm really looking at is the, those guys at the bottom of the owner's points, the Xfinity series. And we've already seen some kind of moves like in reaction to that. We know Kevin Harvick's uh, driving the five car. So that'll that'll give them some points there. Uh, the 13, which was the last, uh, the very bottom uh, in owner's points, 13 uh, car of a car along. He's brought Boris set out to drive that 13 car. And then for the six, uh, Ryan Vargas is not in there this week. They brought in Spencer Pumpley who um, is a very decorated um, road course racer. So he'll be driving for them this week. Uh, we know Austin Dillon's running for the Bassets in the 77. They're a, a first uh, attempt at a race this season officially since they didn't get to qualify for Daytona. Same with the 31, Tyler Reddick. So it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a big dogfight back there kind of for this top 40 in owner's points uh, with all these guys coming in for different teams. And I know owner's points are still swapping around. I think, um, I think BJ McLeod, uh, just an internal swap of, of some owner's points there. So we could see a lot these next few weeks with the um, with, with qualifying for here in Charlotte. I mean, what, what are your thoughts on everything that's kind of going going on back This is, uh, you know, these are the doors that get opened when we go back to qualifying. Uh, for everybody that is complaining and saying, oh, my gosh, we really need qualifying back. Uh, qualify. Okay. Let me go down the list of the things that are happening it's just because we're doing this one time. You got Stuart Haas basically partnering with two separate organizations in a phony baloney deal to try to get cup drivers down in the Xfinity race. Okay. Well, fans go, well, I don't really care about that. I could see cup guys in Xfinity and that's entertaining. Great. Wonderful. Let me talk about it from just a finance standpoint, what we got going on. So my guys are out there working on another car because we got to bring it back up, right? Because we're going, we're going to run a practice. So we got to have a backup car. Well, that means I got to have another transmission. I got to have another motor for that car. I got to have another gear for that car that I had to lease. I got to have another set of shocks for that car that I have to lease because I don't own them. Okay, great. Now I got to load that thing up in the trailer. It's a long way to get down there to Austin. So we got to plan on the travel for all that. And then now there's rain in the forecast. So now I'm going to be going down there and I'm like, all right, well, am I buying slick tires? Am I buying um, rain tires? Am I having to buy both? Am I having to buy a combination of both of these things? All right, there's that. But is it specific for qualifying? Well, now I got to adjust my car to be able to have a cool down uh, hooked up to it, right? Because I'm going to have to go make a qualifying run. Maybe I got to cool it down. All right. Well, we didn't have to worry about that before. So I got to hook all that up. Um, and then you got all the point swaps and everything that you're talking about, all these teams in the back that for now, the last 
nine races of the year have known, all right, we're in the race. Now they're not. So now they're all swapping around, jockeying around, moving around. And all this money, I'm telling you where the money's going. It's not going to the teams. It's going to NASCAR. Like for BJ to swap those points, he's having to pay NASCAR to swap the points. So the only people that this is helping is NASCAR <laughs> because they can say, oh, there's a lot of cars showing up. And the only people that's hurting are the teams. And for everybody that wants to scream and yell and say, well, this isn't fair and you need to open it up and you need to have, you know, teams like Jordan Anderson and teams like Bassett and all them, they, they need to have an opportunity to qualify. I get it. I understand what you're saying. I completely understand. At the same time, by giving them that opportunity to do that, it is incurring a cost on every other team in the garage, right? So just because we got to practice, now we got to go through, we got to get there a day earlier. We got to have an extra day's worth of hotel rooms. I got to buy another set of tires for practice. That's more mileage on my car. I got to swap the brake rotors out. I got to swap the brake pads out. I got to have backups for all that kind of stuff. Way more consumable stuff than I'm going to be going through, right? More food, more cost in general. All right. So that cost is incurred on 40 other teams to give two teams a chance to get in the race. Now, what I would say is that in the big picture, that's not worth it. Now, if I was one of those two teams, would I be screaming to the high heavens? Of course I would, right? I get it. But for everybody that wants to complain about this part of the sport, chances are you're not in it. <laughs> this is not your money. And for a team like mine that relies on the prize money to make up, you know, 75 to 80% of our budget, well, this is tough because you just went, okay, I'm paying you the same amount of money, but now I'm going to actually ask your cost to go back up by four or $5,000 a race, just so we can give a couple other teams a chance to get in here. And it puts on, you know, an extra couple of sessions for the fans. I know I'm on a little bit of a rant here, RJ. I just want to see where all the fans were for qualifying. Like we qualified for the last, I don't know, five years that I've been in NASCAR. There might've been a hundred people in the stands. Maybe for all the sessions that I've ever done qualifying was. There might've been 50 people in the stands to watch a practice for the ones that I've done. So this idea that like, oh man, we're more track time. There's more fans showing up. You know what? That's probably better for all the campground people that are there. But as far as like people buying tickets and walking in to watch the practice, that's not happening. And I feel like this is so disproportionate. The people like on Twitter that are complaining about, oh, qualified was the thing that I watched. Okay, show me the numbers. I'd love to see what were the television numbers for qualifying, for Xfinity qualifying at like a 10 o'clock in the morning on a Saturday, like, you know, probably not that great. I got a feeling. So I get that it's content for those networks that have paid this money. I get why they want it because it's live sports content. But from a watching standpoint and from an audience standpoint, the people that are complaining about this, they're the diehard people. We love them. I get it. You want to watch NASCAR, you love NASCAR, you love qualifying, you love everything about it. I love that. I love qualifying. It's great. But financially, it hurts teams, especially teams like mine, which that's the majority of the Xfinity series 
is teams like mine. And it does put an extra cost on them, 100%. And I guess I'm just not seeing the payoff. Like if, all, if, there, were, <laughs> there, were, if there better be 10,000 people there in the stands for qualifying at Xfinity based on everything that I've heard and in Charlotte. And I can guarantee you, RJ, that they absolutely will not be. Probably not. Well, I mean, we'll see. That's that's a good point, though. I would like to see kind of the TV ratings on the qualifying side, practice side, you know, from from last year. I never really uh, looked at that, but that would be interesting to see, see how many people are tuning in, see how many people are at the track. I also think, I mean, I, I think mean, you were watching Xfinity. I, I remember we practiced at California last year, RJ, like my car exploded in flames <laughs> in California last year. Okay. How many people were watching that? That was a West Coast practice at like noon. So it was three Eastern time on a Friday. People were like, oh man, I, I miss practice. I miss watching practice. Okay. What was the rating for that? I bet it was like 100,000 people may maybe maybe watching that so it's just we're not registering a big enough number for this to make sense to pen, like basically not penalize but now that we've seen the benefits of not doing this incur that cost back on the teams to do it it's not and, and a version of this that's probably going to happen in the future rj is a few races a year we're going to qualify like we're doing at coda like we're doing at Charlotte, like we're going to do it in Nashville. Yeah, a few races a year, we do it. We open it up. But this version of this where I know all I got to do is bring one car, I'm there for one day, in and out, get the race done, that helps our team tremendously, tremendously. Yeah, we've seen both sides then. You know, the bigger teams, especially in the Cup Series, are, are wanting practice and qualifying. They want to be there, you know, as long as they can to get their car dialed in. Because uh, they don't have to worry about the finances as much. But then we hear, you know, from the smaller teams in the garage that they they enjoy this because it's cutting the cost, and that's the big thing is cutting the cost for the small teams. So you're not there uh, for you know for three days in a weekend. You don't have to bring multiple cars, like you said, multiple parts, all this stuff. So it makes sense. It's kind of you know like there's two sides to it: the big teams, the small teams, and and what do they do? And I I do kind of like that. I like the balance um, of having. Uh, you know, some races have qualifying uh, in the year, some races don't. And if that's a balance that NASCAR can find in between, like what all the teams want, then I, you know, I think that could be a good option. I think there's like a way that on our schedule, we pick out some big races, right? Where we say, oh, okay, like we look, did this year. Pick, exactly. We're going to pick out some big races. Coda's a big race. Charlotte's a big race. Daytona's a big race. And we're going to set up some places where teams can qualify in. So if you're a part-time team, you want to be a part-time team in the Xfinity Series, here you go. This is where it's going to happen, right here. Qualify in, get a chance, you can get a full paycheck, just like anybody else. Here it is. Great. But for the most part, we're going to lock in our teams that are here every week, and we're going to kind of guarantee that they're going to get a paycheck. And I don't think there's a problem with that. I think, um, and and I want to talk real quick about finances. We're talking about finances, uh, costs, everything with the teams. Uh, it was brought up again yesterday uh, that NASCAR could likely move the numbers on the race car uh, to uh, better help out sponsorship of teams. I believe that's that's their idea that they they think it will. 
We'll see how it works. We'll see what they do. A lot of the drivers of kind of, from what I've seen on Twitter, have said just, you know, give us the option to, right? Like give us and the sponsors the option to, the flexibility to put it where we want. Um, you know, if a sponsor really wants it in one place to show off something more in the middle of the car, then sure. Um, and I, I would kind of be okay with that option, letting them choose, I guess, if we really want to do it. Um, but I know, um, I know we've kind of talked about this a while ago because it gets brought up about every few months, I'd say the number change ever since the all-star race last year. Um, but yeah, here we go. It's kind of becoming more and more likely that, that NASCAR wants to move the numbers. Oh, it's going to happen. <laughs> it's, it's not a question of if. It's just a question of when, and it seems like the win is going to be with the next-gen car next yep. year, and it is like the new NASCAR. Here we go. Um, obviously, uh, my thoughts on this are, are documented, um, that I think this is very, very silly. Um, and not silly in the sense that I think the number placement is the most important thing about a NASCAR stock car. That's not it. And I think um, the media as a whole, and I love the media in our sport, um, they make a living off covering the sport, right? So with that being said, when some of these changes are made, generally, I hear a positive spin put on the changes. and in a lot of times, it comes across as dismissive to the comments, mostly overwhelming one-sided comments that people do not like the changes. Um, I think about stages, for example. Uh, go back and look up the Facebook post where NASCAR um, basically announced the stages or the caution clock or a lot of the different things that we've done over the last few years. We hear that these changes are being made uh, to benefit the sport, move the sport forward. Um, But when you look at the reaction to these types of things, it is almost always overwhelmingly negative. And the number debate is just another one on the line here that is an overwhelming negative response. And you go immediately, the response from the media. And maybe the the players involved, uh, and I'm talking about like NASCAR, uh, people on NASCAR radio, and I know I'm kind of setting up a straw man here. I mean, there's people that have done it. Dave Moody, for example, I I had a little bit of a back and forth with Dave yesterday, so I'll use him as an example. And I love Moody. Love, love, love Moody. And he really does understand the sport. He really does. He gets a lot of it. Um, But he immediately was like, I can't believe so many people would be so upset about a silly number. It's like, well... It's not silly to them. And it comes across as really dismissive and kind of like elitist. And you sound like a jerk. So all the NASCAR people that immediately fire back and go, oh, it's just a comment section. It's just what, you know, the people that are doing that, you know, the people that are commenting, they care enough to comment. How don't you think about that? They care enough to follow all your accounts. And then when something happens, voice their opinion on it. And you go, well, it's, well, it's always negative. No, it's not. 
No, it's not. It's not always negative. It's negative when we do something stupid. And yeah. the thing is, if you want to come back and say, oh, well, I don't see why the number placement is so significant. Why is that going to cause people to leave? Well, then why are you changing it? <laughs> if it's not that significant, then why are we changing it? And on top of that, why are we spending money to research it? Here's the, here's the disconnect that's currently happening, RJ, and it's frustrating to me. There is a complete disconnect between the people that are in the building over there at NASCAR marketing the sport and the people that are watching the sport. And I don't understand really when this happened. We can point to probably several things over the course of the years, but there is a version of NASCAR and the way that it is being marketed and presented and in the future, and we're pushing forward, and we need to be moving forward. And this is the next thing that we're working on. And we're trying to go to the Northwest, and we're trying to do a, a street course in Denver. And we're, you know, we're pushing, um, you know, hybrid technology into cars, and we're forward, forward, forward progress. I hate to break it to you guys. We have the most conservative fan base in all of sports, like maybe in the world. And I'm not talking about politically. I just mean like ideologically, like conservative. They like tradition. They like things to stay the same. I'm one of those people. I like it. What do I want for Thanksgiving? Turkey. They go, oh, well, that's just traditional Thanksgiving. Yeah, I don't want to eat ham. I want to eat turkey on Thanksgiving, right? I'm not trying to have steaks or lasagna. I want ham. That's part of the tradition to me. And I think about like how we relate a lot like the SEC football, for example. Think about how the uniforms for those teams, for the most part, haven't changed for 50 or 60 years, right? Like Alabama doesn't change their uniforms. Like Tennessee's not changing their uniforms. They might do a one-off thing, but I get it. You know what I'm saying? Like, like a lot of the tradition, this song, they got a fight song. We're playing the fight song. We're doing the marching band. We're doing all the traditions of the game day. They're walking in, do the same walk of champions. They're doing the, every team has got their own traditions and those traditions don't change. And they are passed down generation to generation to generation. And we are currently living in a world right now where football is coming under fire from a lot of outside sources that like, hey, this is dangerous. I don't know if I'd let my kids play football. I don't know, you know, that may, it's football peaking. Is it maybe going downhill? Look at look at the audience where football is going down. I promise you they are selling the crap out of some tickets in the SEC. And what was the SEC really, what is their marketing strategy? What is their whole thing? Is we are the Southeastern Conference. We are leaning into that part of the country. We don't care about everything. In fact, everybody else sucks except us. Like the pride of your school, the pride of where you're from, the pride of the traditions that we're passing down, every team, right? And it's SEC versus everybody. And I think about NASCAR and I'm like, oh my God, that's basically what we were in the 90s, in the 2000s. And somewhere along the way, we have brought in a bunch of people to basically help promote the sport to a new audience that didn't understand the sport. They don't, they don't know the audience. They, they know how to market way better than I do. 
way better than I do. But the one thing I know is the audience. I've been around it my entire life. I know the people that are buying the tickets for an RV, even as the prices go up and as we gouge them year after year after year. And then we're going to get mad at people when they get upset about traditions that are changing every year it seems like the cars change the drivers are getting forced out because of sponsorship we're changing tracks we're going to different markets we're changing the start times uh we're you know oh martinsville it's always a day race well it's a night race that's better better for tv okay well okay I, and i'm not saying that that's a tradition that's like messed up but we definitely are changing everything all the time yeah. and when you step back and you wonder why they, people go, oh, the numbers, this is where I draw the line. And then somebody wants to comment back and go, oh, the numbers is where you draw the line. Let me pull out my list of the 50 things that we've changed in the last, fifth, you know, just like five years. And you, yeah, it's an accumulation. And like I said, there is a idea that the traditional fan base is always going to be there right? We can move the sport forward from a marketing standpoint and all this. Um, and, and look, we got those people. We don't. We don't always have those people. We have really disenfranchised those people. And we need to be trying to reconnect with them more so than like pursue this new avenue of marketing to new companies and new strategies and all this. That's That ain't us. And I'll tell you this much right now. I would love to sit in a meeting of a sponsor pitch where I'm pitching the sponsor on NASCAR and I'm pitching the sponsor on Bubba Wallace as a driver or William Byron as a driver or Daniel Suarez as a driver or whoever I'm pitching. Right. And they go, I mean, this sounds great, but eh, there's not really enough room on the side of that car for me to be able to brand, you know, like if you guys can move the numbers, then, then I'm in. When has that when has that meeting taken place? That's never happened. Like people that are they're either in or they're out on the idea here. And, and also, you could say, well, this is going to be extra value. We can sell another associate sponsorship. First of all, you're not selling them. Those same marketing people are the same ones that will go on the radio, on TV. And here's the line you're going to always hear. Look, we're in a B2B business. Business to business. That's how these that's how these big sponsorship deals are made, right? Rick Hendrick owns a dealership. Hey, we're going to use Quaker State oil in all of our cars. Great. Quaker State, basically selling product, but they'll sell it at a discount. Rick Hendrick is getting a big discount. Well, that turns into revenue for the race team, right? Is that sponsorship? Not really. And so it's hilarious to me that in this world that we live in with a lot of business to business stuff going on, they're like, oh, well, how do we get extra marketing value for the cars. What do you mean? You're, you're telling me that you're not even selling traditional marketing like that. You're not going, oh, it's a billboard. Let me sell it. You're going, oh, I got to kind of wheel and deal and make these deals that pay off and all this kind of stuff. I, I think this is absolutely asinine. So not only is it a little bit disconnected from the fan base to me and, and, with no expectation of what the response is going to be from the fans, which has been just, I literally have not heard, you know, more than about two comments out of 10,000 
that this can be positive. The only positive comments that I hear are coming from NASCAR industry people, the other drivers that are like, oh, well, yeah, it might be cool. You know, where they're trying to just kind of like, eh, yeah, sure, I don't know, whatever. <laughs> and NASCAR industry people, and that's it. Like, I don't hear one other person, maybe media people. That's it. Like, I haven't seen one fan comment besides, I mean, just a few out of the hundreds and hundreds that I've seen that are positive for this change. So I don't understand it, RJ. If you've got a hundred people screaming that it's like violating tradition and two people going, yeah, I mean, why not give it a chance? Well, that seems like that's kind of a one-sided thing that like, well, you know, it's going to improve the marketing uh, on the cars and the brand value on the car. Who's watching it? If you're pissing off every one of the fans, okay, it's great that you're creating value for who? Yeah, my my problem um, with it really one of, one of the main things that I always think of is a lot of these things that NASCAR do. I feel like it's problem, like on top of problem. I feel like it, like you said, uh, it's like a cumulative. Like uh, nobody is. If this was like the only thing that NASCAR has ever changed in the last twenty years, everyone wouldn't be reacting this way, right? But it's because. It's kind of like the tipping point. We have had so many things happen and so many things that people want NASCAR to change and that they haven't. And then they go and do this. I think it's just a lot of problems on top of problems on top of problems. And then I like, I don't feel like a lot of this is naturally caused. Like it just happens. I feel like NASCAR has done things to kind of put themselves in a situation where they end up feeling like it's right to make changes like this. Now, this is, you know, moving the numbers. This is different. But I, I always go back to what we've been doing with stages and the package that we run. I feel like everything that has happened with that, I feel like has basically, it's been like a sequence. Like, I think the first thing that came back in 2015, 2016, 2017, we brought on stages. We had, we had changed. We had more restarts, right? And then we gave a package. We did a package that would be prime for restarts, right? Getting three and four or five wide at mile and a half. So we want to focus on restarts. So we keep the stages. And then, you know, we're like, oh, the, the racing isn't as good. There's not as much passing at some of the tracks. Let's add a PJ1 traction compound onto a track. Uh, so maybe we can create more passing. And sometimes that works and sometimes it doesn't. And now we kind of look at the sport to where how it was, right? We, it was almost the same for so long, right? Tradition, tradition, tradition. And we look at the sport and how much different it was even seven years ago. And it's crazy how much changes we have had um, because I felt like it's just been issue on top of issue on top of issue. And then we, we make this change because we made this change and it didn't really work out as much. And they're changing so many things. And now we got the numbers. Now we're trying to move the numbers around to give brands better options to um, show off their company. And I think sometimes it's just a problem with them. I think like, I think there is plenty of opportunities for brands to make a name for themselves, to show off just on a race car, even if they don't want to do anything outside of that, even if it's just a one race deal for, for a brand. I think there's so much opportunity, opportunity for the driver of their sponsors. I know you do a great job of projecting your sponsors. One guy I think of is, is Corey LaJoy. Um, and the Cup Series does a great job. A lot of guys do great jobs at broadcasting their sponsors out to social media, uh, on TV, and on the cars. A lot of the paint scheme designers uh, that do it. I know some of the designers have you know directions from 
uh, sponsors to, to where to put, uh, you know, their, their, their things, their company's names on the cars. I think of just because I've seen it on Twitter all the time, the recent tide car that we just saw at Darlington on the 47 and you go back and, you know, you're like not enough room to, to, uh, you know, show that tide is the sponsor of this race car. I mean, are you kidding me? You look back at the 32 tide car that was ran about 20 years ago and you're like, you know, so I, you know, I know we had a, we had a conversation about that a while ago on, I think, I don't know, I can't remember if it was off there about the contingency sponsors that NASCAR has had and what has happened to those over the years and, and the team's reaction to that. Wrong. And I just think it's issue on top of issue. And it's just like a, just sequential that something happens and then NASCAR feels like they need to do this to change it because of what they did um, a few years back or something like that. Cause the move they made didn't work out. I think it's they they dig themselves somewhere and then they feel like this is a way to dig themselves out of it. And I I don't you know I don't really know either because they said they're listening. You know who are they listening to? Why did we pay um, who was it Nielsen to go in and, and and investigate whether this would you know improve the branding and who are they talking to? You know the 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 teams the, the drivers. Are they talking to race fans? Are they the talking race to fans the people that are gonna watch it? Or are they talking to marketing people? Like, can we just stop? Like there are people that work for NASCAR right now. Get ready. There are people that work in a building that is 30 minutes away from me that make decisions about the sport that do not watch the races. Flat out. I have been in meetings where people didn't know who I was. I want you to think about that. And it's not like I'm new. I'm not new. I've been around here for seven, 10 years now. Didn't, didn't know me at all. Am I the smallest name in the sport? No. Am I the biggest name? No. I'm probably somewhere in the middle. <laughs> probably somewhere in the middle, you know? Like, I'm at least knowable at this point. No clue. That's disappointing because that's further proof that maybe we got people in there that don't understand the product. How can they make decisions about how to promote it when you don't understand it? So let's compare NASCAR to a sport. All right, let's let's do a little thought experiment here. I already compared us to the SEC from a fan base standpoint. I think really that is probably like the ideal of like where we ought to be. And you think about that, like there's the SEC network on television. Yeah. There's an SEC radio channel on Sirius XM. I mean, it is diehard. And really they care about football. That takes up the biggest chunk. And then the other sports are like, I'll go ahead and tell you in the SEC. I mean, it's fun to go to baseball games. It's fun to go to basketball games, but really, we really care about the football part of this. That's where we really care. That's where the money is. All right. That's where most of the money's being spent. All right. But let's compare this to another sport. I think hockey is a great comp for us. And here's why hockey is a regional sport that operates nationally. But hockey understands that they really are a northern sport. Canada, the Northeast, that's our base. And yeah, we've got a team in Vegas. And yeah, we've got a team down in Florida. We have one in Carolina. We have one in Tech. We get it. There's other teams. But really, we are a northern regional sport. That's us. And they get a lot of crap from people that are outside of the sport about what they should do to make it better. And do you know what they don't do? They don't change. They're not changing stuff. They go, you know what? People can still fight. 
in hockey. I can't tell you how many debates I've seen on television from people that don't watch hockey, people that are like on first take where they might watch two hockey games a year, matches, is it matches, hockey match maybe, maybe it's a game, I don't know. But point being, they're only watching a couple hockey games a year and they go, oh, this is archaic that they still allow them to fight in hockey. This is stupid. They should completely get rid of this. Okay. You know what that would piss off? Players and hockey fans. And those are the people that are really important to the NHL. So they don't do that. Think about people that watch baseball. What is all the complaints from people that don't watch baseball? Takes too long. Games are boring. You ought to have some sort of a pitch clock or something like that. You got to really speed things up. You know, we, the problem is there's not enough offense. You know, like you really got to get this thing going, man. It's just old. You know, there's too many pitch changes. There's too much dead time. We got to go, you know, this has got to move faster. You know who doesn't want it to move faster? Players and people that actually like baseball. Baseball didn't change for like 100 years. It didn't change. And that's fine. It was a pastime. By the way, national pastime. What does that mean? You're passing the time watching baseball. Yeah. You don't have to watch every single second like you're glued to it. No, it's a pastime. It takes time. It's a little longer. There's a different pace to it. There's still a lot of baseball fans. When people go, oh, man, baseball losing popularity. Well, yeah, I guess it's lost popularity from 1950. But that's going to happen, all right? But baseball is really not terribly worried about it. They're going to pretty much stay true to what they are. They might change a couple of things, but they're not going to stay true to what, what the game is. I feel like NASCAR is operating being like, really, what we are is a national, we're an international sport. We need to have a race in Mexico. We need to have a race in Canada. We got to have a race on the West Coast. We got to have a race in the in the Northwest. One in Denver, one in Chicago. Man, we we are a international brand. No, you're not. No, you're not. You're not though. And I love us. I love us. And we represent brands that are national brands without a doubt. But I'm telling you, we are a regional brand. Where people care about this is down in the southeast and the Midwest. That's it. That's where the majority of the fan base lies. That does not mean that we don't have fans in other places. I get it. But where we make our money, where we make our home is down around there. And the traditions of the sport and the pacing of the sport, like perfect example of this, RJ, to come to the point that you were just making, Jeff Gulak put up a poll about the Dover race, right? Yeah. Was it a good race? We've talked about that multiple times on the podcast. Dover, admittedly, pretty boring race. Would everybody probably agree? Boring race. Yeah. But you had a lot of people that chimed in and said that was a good race just because of the package that they were running and they wanted to defend it. Right. All right. What I'm telling you here is that if we just had a green flag 400 lap race at Dover with no stages, nothing else, it would be the same reaction. It would almost be like this return to what they were used to. Yeah. Would that be more boring theoretically? from a like action oriented standpoint. Yeah. But like, if I said that in hockey or in baseball, let's think about it in baseball. What if I said, here's what we're going to do guys. <laughs> it's a nine inning game, but really what we're going to have is three, three inning games. Do you think that would piss off a lot of baseball fans? It would. 
I got a feeling it probably would. And so people will be like, oh, well, this isn't so bad. Look at it. I mean, it's fine. It's the same game. It's bad. You know, it's why is everybody so mad? Yeah, but why are you jacking with it? <laughs> like, that's that's it. That's what people are coming back with. Like with hockey, if they said, all right, here's what we're going to do. You know, hockey, too many games are low scoring. We're going to double the size of the net. And uh, we're actually going to allow another attacker um, on the other side of the, of the ice. Right. Do you think that would piss off hockey people? Yeah. Yeah. People that are traditional hockey fans would think that's an aberration. Now, maybe they wouldn't like never watch hockey again, but they're definitely going to feel like, you know, this, this isn't what I grew up loving. This is, this isn't that same thing that I clung on to when I was 12 years old, 20 years old, my, my youth, it's not the same now. Are they going to be as passionate about passing it down? No, because they naturally feel disenfranchised. Like, not, you know, it's just not the same as what I had before. And that's what we've done. We've like interrupted a cycle of people passing this down generation to generation. Yeah. Like some of them are still watching. A lot of them still are. We, we still have a lot of fans. It's a big sport, but you've kind of, hurt yourself with how they're going to favorably recommend it to maybe the next generation, because I feel like we have seemed really, really hell bent on making moves that haven't resulted in any like major significant steps forward as a sport. And if there have been, I guess I'm as a, somebody that's been in it now for several years, I haven't seen it. So that's it. And this just feels like another decision here, RJ, that's being made in the benefit of the the next version of the sport. But it's like, I don't know. It doesn't feel like that version exists. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like listening to um, the, you know, the people that aren't as diehard to the sport is kind of like what you were saying, how they're kind of you know, listen to those people and trying to change it up to, you know, bring in news fans, but losing, you know, the diehard fans, making them angry. You know, I think of, you know, in the past, how people didn't have social media, people didn't really care about a sport or, or NASCAR as much and looked at it, you know, they didn't, you know, they didn't have a social media to just go and type something and, you know, say, you know, what they're doing wrong. Oh, this is boring, you know, you know, compared to now, if they don't really care and they could do that. You know, that's not a huge uh, thing. That's just the thing I thought of, but one another thing, um, you know. Well, you know, there's things like a race is boring, but moving the numbers is a whole different. I've never heard anybody say that on Twitter, and then it just came up, and what the heck? But one one thing that I always think of is like, uh, as far as tradition, is the Coke 600. I mean, I feel like, in my I, in my opinion, I feel like we have killed that race. Like the the endurance part of it right we went into that race like every race is an endurance every race is 400 miles 500 miles however long it is every race is endurance but that race was like the endurance race it was the special race like all right we're starting the race 600 miles you never know we could we could run this thing green to the end you got to be perfect on pit stops all throughout the race you know 600 miles got to make sure you're fit to go and now we've split into four stages we have 100 100 100 a hundred uh we have a red flag in the middle of the race um you know in addition to the four stages that we have it's not really nobody really thinks of it as an endurance or at least i don't i don't think of it as an endurance race i just it's think of it as four separate races that that we're doing for the coke 600 and that's just one thing of tradition that i felt like was just 
changed. And that's another thing with the all-star race. Now we got six stages there because every race has three stages. Yeah. Man. It feels like, and again, where, where are those decisions being made? Is that competition people that are making those decisions? That feel like it feels like they're being made by marketing people, television people that are going, you know, what'll be better for the view and audience, you know, what will be better for ratings is we split this up and make, you know, it's like small because it's, it's just a lot. It's a longer race. What if we can make it more exciting whatever? Yeah, I, I get what you're doing. But at the same time, it kind of takes away from what it was, right? And I agree. It's <laughs> what we do here hasn't changed. Like we're still putting race cars on a racetrack and we're driving around, we're trying to pass each other. But the way that it's coming across is that like, we don't think it's good enough. Yeah. We, we don't think that like what we have is good. Enough. We're, we're chasing, making it better. We're always trying to make it better. We're, well, and I don't see what's wrong with always trying to make it better. Well, there's nothing wrong with that. And, and having a new car, that's not anything new to the sport. Like, guess what guys? Car models change a lot over the course of eight to 10 years. It's realistic that we're going to have new bodies put on the cars, new styles of cars, better cars. That, that's fine. I don't think anybody's got a problem with that. But when you're starting to mess with race format, the places where we go, the message that we're putting out about the sport, um, a breakaway from traditional race dates and times, uh, the way the cars are going to look from a format standpoint of where the numbers go. I mean, literally think about what I just said. Not only are it's a new car, I'm going to completely change the way that it's ever looked for the last 50 years that we've had numbers on the side of their cars. All right. Well, yeah, that's going to rub some people the wrong way because the impression that you're giving them is, eh, I mean, this is fine, but it could be better. And, and people that are like, well, I love it the way that it is. Of course, they're going to be upset. And I feel like we've gone down this road time and time and time again. And don't take my word for it. I know it sounds like I'm just ripping into NASCAR and ripping them a new one. Don't use my words. Steve Phelps, the president of NASCAR, literally came out in a press conference a few years ago when he first took over the job as president of NASCAR and said, we probably, and this is a quote, he said, we probably lost our way trying to pursue new fan bases rather than staying true to what we were as a sport. That is like a, that's a quote. And I paraphrase it a little bit, but he definitely said we probably lost our way. That is a quote. That's a true quote. And he was talking about how the, you know, the mentality of NASCAR and how we're marketing it needed to probably change. And then we make decisions like this. So that's where you want to scream because you go, okay, so you have address the fact that you think there's an issue and then we're just going to do it anyway yeah that's um for sure i mean i i think i do remember yeah when he said that and it's just yeah like like kind of like we said issue on on top of issue and taken away from the tradition you know i've never seen like a, a new fan we brought a lot of new fans into the sport the last few years but when they you know with these new fans coming to the sport they're really getting involved with what NASCAR is all about, the tradition of NASCAR. And I really love that when I see them like describe, like, why'd you get into NASCAR? And they're like, oh man, the atmosphere of the races, you know, being there, 
yeah. watching it, you know, whether it's even just Daytona and Talladega, that's cool. You know, I don't really hear anybody, you know, it's specific, but coming in, man, I really enjoy that. Um, the way they changed it to the 550 horsepower package that really drew me in uh, the, the yeah, stages every race that really made me an NASCAR fan like no these we want people to get uh in love with the the tradition of NASCAR and there have been some changes to baseball there's been a lot of pressure uh from outsiders to change the tradition of baseball I know basketball the NBA just went to a new playoff format now they have the play in oh uh, you know, which I believe is to, tonight and tomorrow, where 10 teams now have a shot at the playoffs at the end of the regular season. Uh, the NFL, they just added one extra playoff team for each conference uh, last year. So it's 7-7. Seven seven. But, you know, it feels like those changes are kind of, they're not as huge. They're a little minor. And it didn't really upset, you know, the fans uh, as much. And I think they have a council, too, as well, that's more involved with the sport. I think it's a lot more former players that make this decision. And that's why a lot of people, I mean, you think that's, why a lot of people are motivated to have like someone like Dale Jr., you know, be in a top role in NASCAR someday, kind of because they understand the tradition of the sport. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, like, I would like to see more, um, more people from our side of the garage uh, represented over there in the NASCAR building. Um, because whether we, they like to admit it or not, uh, in the Xfinity series, that's the majority of the teams. And in the truck series, that's the majority of the teams. And about 30, eh, not 30%, but about whatever, six of the of the 36 charters are small teams. So that's 15%. So it's not like this is not a significant portion of the garage that is doing this. And I mean, and by the way, that's not me even including teams like Spire Motorsports, Teams like J, uh, JTG, uh, would you consider those small teams? Yeah, yeah, probably a little bit in a way. You know, I'm not including um, front row in that. So we can go even higher in the percentage of small teams uh, there. So this is not a, a small group, but yet it feels like a lot of the decisions are being made by the biggest teams and their representatives. And I'm not trying to right there. Uh, I can already tell that I'm, it's like I'm making this like a conflict, big team, be small team. It's really not. It's really not. I'm not trying to say that. There's always going to be people that have way more resources in racing. That's fine. Okay. Like I'm not ripping that. What I'm saying is when at the decision-making level in NASCAR, I would like to see more people from both sides get a chance to like actually make policy and be a part of that um, because it, it feels like it's a little one-sided. Uh, at the moment. And, and that's, I think, not good for the overall health of the sport. Maybe it's good for, for part of it, but it's not good for everybody in the sport. I think just how crazy it was. It really says where we are today in NASCAR, that everyone was so excited, like the true, like the diehard NASCAR fans rejoiced just for a package the last two weekends yeah. at Darlington and Dover. I mean, rejoiced. Everyone was so happy. The drivers were happy and the interviews are like, man, I, you know, high, high horsepower package, low downforce. It's going to be awesome. Even, you know, Jeff Gordon, Clint Boyard and Mike Joy in the booth were talking about it, you know, supporting it. And everyone was just rejoicing. It's just a crazy moment, you know, with before and even after every race, like, man, we really watched those guys wheel the cars out there, which never really happened seven years ago. Every race was just another race. Right. And we were just, you know, tracking along. And yeah, like you said, if we, if we were looking at what we saw at Dover, 
um, you know, a number of years ago, would we all think that was probably a boringish race? Yeah, probably. But now it's so rare that we get one of these races with the high horsepower, low downforce package in the Cup Series. Everyone's going to support it. I'm one of them. I, I I liked it. I wish there was a little more uh, coverage on on TV during the then the late stages of the race because I'm looking on the ticker and I'm seeing positions swapping. I'm seeing certain drivers moving through the field. Some drivers moving back. And I, you know, as a supporter of the package, I'm hoping like, man, why aren't we showing this, right? Why aren't we showing this? People that aren't paying attention to that are going to be like, oh, there was nothing going on. It was just a Hendrick one, two, three, four domination, which it was, but there was a lot of stuff going back there um, in the back, unless it was just a ticker glitch, you know, that people were swapping around randomly. But no, I saw there were positions swapping. There were cars driving up through the field. And I just wish that was showing a little bit more, but yeah, back like to your point that you said, if we all would have thought Dover was probably a pretty boring race. Yeah. But we're all, all, all the fans, all the dire fans are backing up their, their 750 package, uh, trying to hopefully get NASCAR to notice to maybe make it a bigger thing next year. And what's it about? It's about respect and understanding really is the two things that we're talking about, right? Um, racing community respect. So NASCAR was thought of in the racing community, really in a pretty high spot, like the best drivers are making their way to NASCAR in the 90s and the 2000s. That's where the money's going. That's where the best drivers are going. Whether it's USAC, you know, wherever they were coming from, they're going to NASCAR. They're going the NASCAR route. Uh, I feel like NASCAR is really well known now for a lot of funded drivers, honestly. And, uh, you know, when you're talking about the, the high horsepower package, uh, you know, there, there are dirt late models that make more horsepower than 550 horsepower, right? So there's a level of like a lack of respect for what's going on at the top level of your sport when you keep restricting and restricting and restricting that Jimmy Johnson openly said it, Carl Edwards openly said it, um, that like, hey, we're getting out of this because honestly, this is just not going the direction of driver skill. It's just not. It, it's just going, we're going to put them in a smaller box, smaller box. You know, I mean, there's <laughs> like the World of Outlaws Twitter account made fun of NASCAR openly the other day, openly yeah. about how they have a thousand horsepower in a, in a car that's on dirt sliding around. That type of stuff, RJ, like that does pick at the credibility of your sport. And you go, well, this is more compelling to watch on television when it's like this. I get it. But who are you trying to go after? You're trying to go after racing fans, right? Like this is a really niche thing that we're into. We love racing. And so there is some crossover with racing fans. And when the impression is that like, look, man, they're just doing all this for the show. It's not even about the racing anymore. Well, then that, that turns into a little bit of lack of respect for the big picture. Even if it is more entertaining to watch, it's, it's picking away at the credibility of it. Yeah. And, uh, and the understanding of who your audience is has got to play into some of those decisions and, and the understanding of who your your uh, your real people that are involved, they're going to have to go out and sell this or the drivers and the teams. And you're giving them a product that, that they're not passionate about selling. You got to understand that. And it always felt a little short-sighted to me. And as we look at the response and what that is, it, it it's turned out to be that way. And I, look, I'm not sitting here trying to just be like, oh, I told you so, because it's not about that. It's about like the overall health of the sport. A lot of these decisions that are being made, I don't think are positively impacting the overall health of the sport. 
Yeah. And, and that's about respecting dominance as well. You talk about driver respect as well. There's yeah. nothing wrong with Hendrick Motorsports going one, two, three, four at Dover. There's nothing wrong with Truex dominating Darlington, right? It's about respecting dominance. You look at, uh, you know, another comparison to the NBA when, when the Golden State Warriors and the Cleveland Cavaliers were the finals for like five straight years, nothing changed over there. You know, we all respected the dominance of the teams. Everyone was bored of it, but we all respect the dominance of the teams, respect the dominance of, you know, Tom Brady and the NFL or, or any, you know, baseball team, right? Like, you respect the dominance. And when you look back in few past years of NASCAR, we love to talk about Dale Earnhardt, Richard Petty, Jimmy Johnson, Jeff Gordon, those guys who had dominant seasons, dominant years, multiple championships. I find it so hard to believe in today's state of NASCAR where everything's currently changing, where we're changing things, you know, because a driver is too dominant. We don't want someone to get too big of a lead or have too big of a long greenfield run. I have I find it hard to believe that we'll ever see someone get seven championships ever again if everything stays the same with everything changing i just find it so hard to believe that we'll have that again and and, you know i kind of don't like that i love respecting you know the dominance and i feel like people need to do that more instead of jumping like oh something needs to change because martin Truex jr dominated darlington like no that's just racing you know (laughs) that's what the sport is and it's not like he was scooting away with it kyle larson made a late charge at the end which i thought was really cool to watch as well but Got to respect dominance. You're going to have some of those races that people are going to dominate. That's racing, right? And that's been the problem. We've changed this over the years. Martin Truex Jr. dominated a uh, season, you know, back about four years ago. And bam, right after that, we were changing rules. People were, you know, thinking that we were changing rules before because of Jimmy Johnson's dominance at certain tracks, uh, at certain places. So, you know, I I don't like that. I, I feel like fans should uh, have to respect dominance. The true diehard fans have like we were talking about but some of some of the guys that are just coming along not respecting the dominance of truex or hms and two different weeks right two different things totally happened martin truex jr had a, a terrible race for them at dover um when he just went and dominated darlington the week of before you know i like the way that changed as well same package same everything and had an off week that's, yeah, that's my thought that's that's it like think about all the championships in the 90s that were decided way before we ever went to the last race of the year, you know, I get why you would want to go, look, we want it to come down to the last race of the year. Like, I understand that fundamentally, but I think that decision right there, that probably has got to be probably the the number one that we're not doing this for the tradition anymore. That was the start of everything. That, that was probably the start of this snowball rolling downhill. And it was, and you got a pretty big roll and start there with the creation of the chase of like, all right, we're trying to set this up to have an exciting finish to the championship each and every year, because that's better for the overall health of the sport. And what you can look at is basically from that point, that, that was really a, a, a deflection point. Uh, that's the sliding doors moment because from there i don't think we ever reached those heights uh ever again uh, even though we had some great years during that initial period i feel like from there things really started to change quite a bit yeah that's i agree it was just a big s- snowball rolling downhill and all these things compiling on top of each other i don't think moving the numbers has much to do with like the racing changes it's more of just a financial business standpoint of kind of what nascar has been doing over the past few years but we'll see what happens but one thing just to change course real quick before we wrap up big bombshell thing this morning uh, about brad keselowski possibly uh well he does have an offer 
to become a part owner in Roush Fenway, which is something we have seen, um, you know, especially for the newer fans. This is basically, you know, Denny Hamlin, 2311, partial owner in that. So now he's got an offer to be a partial owner of Roush Fenway Racing. And in the deal, he would drive the number six car for the organization alongside Chris Busher. So there's, I mean, there's multiple ways to look at this because obviously Roush Fenway isn't on the level as Penske Racing is. So why would Brad Keselowski downgrade himself to the number six car? But is there a chance that Keselowski could elevate it? And just obviously the, the, the role to be a part owner, to be an owner again, because Keselowski was uh, an owner in the truck series. Would he take this offer? Um, and do you think, would it be a good idea for Keselowski to do that at this point in his career? Well, here's what we know. We know that Matt DiBenedetto is out of the 21 next year and that Austin Cindric is going in it. Um, and that means that Matt DiBenedetto would be the guy without a seat, right? But we also know that Ford loves Matt DiBenedetto. And fans like Matt DiBenedetto. And I think the Penske organization likes Matt DiBenedetto. So they don't really want to get rid of him. So how, And also, I feel like overall, Kozlowski at times this year has been the car that's like just the oddball car where you're like, what's going, you know, what's going on with him? At times, he's looked awesome. And other times, you're like, what? Is going on here and i'm thinking about that and i'm going all right is there probably a competition meeting over there where they're going all right how can we as ford we want to keep kozlowski we also want to keep matt de benedetto how can we keep de benedetto at penske but also give kozlowski maybe a bigger overall role in the sport moving forward, because I do believe that Brad Kozlowski is one of the one of the best um, in the sport uh, as far as understanding team dynamics, sponsor yeah. dynamics, manufacturer relationships, and all this. And you got to look over there at Roush. Jack Roush is old; he is really old. And my understanding of this was always going to be the next person in line over there was going to be Doug Yates, uh, who is currently head of the Roush. Yates engine program and builds all the motors for all the Ford cars, all of them, including Penske. And so with that, I just always just understood that, that was what's going on. And maybe that's not what's going on. Maybe John Henry and that that group over there, the Fenway part of that group, and the Roush part of that group are looking at like, look, what's the next, <laughs> what's the next steps for us? And Brad Kislowski's already operated a team in the truck series for a long time and understands how to operate a team. And has built-in sponsors, has has built-in value, um, and is really smart. So this could be a big step for Kozlowski, and I think this is a big decision um, to have that on the table. It's really about what do you want, right? Like Brad is sitting there with two options. He knows what it's like to operate a team. Does he feel like he's at the part of his career where he wants to start going down that path and kind of like? I'm in a new stage in my career and it's we're, we're kind of aiming towards the end, right? Yeah. Does Brad go, heck no, I want to stay at Penske. I want to stay in the two car until I'm ready to quit. And that's it. I don't know if Brad's going to completely be in charge of that decision. I really don't. I mean, I can't sit here and talk about the internal dynamics at Penske, but it feels like, why would the heck would you ever want to get rid of Brad Kozlowski? I think they look at it like we've got Brad and Joey. And maybe that's a luxury, right? Maybe we don't need both. With the way Ryan Blaney's come along, maybe we don't need both. 
And I think Roush knows that and has put together clearly a pretty good pretty good offer on the table. I, it's probably one of the best offers I've heard. Yeah. I mean, you think about tradition, think about Roush racing, man. <laughs> think about the success that they had in the past. And it's been really some lean years for Roush over the last five to 10 years. It has been lean over there. So it is enticing to somebody like myself, right? Let's say I had a contract offer of their Roush. Well, obviously I'm taking it, right? But why would I take it if I had other offers? Well, it's the idea that like, I can be a part of the reason that this gets better, right? Yeah. I yeah. can be part of the reason that we turn this around. That's why you accept that. It's almost like a challenge. And I think for a guy like Brad, been at Penske for a long time, ton of success, really tight with Ford. There probably is an element of like the challenge to this, to like go over there and be like, you know what? I'm going to do it. I'm going to be the one that helps turn this thing around. I think it's a pretty sexy offer. Now, is he going to take it? Again, it's up to Brad. I, I'm not friends with Brad. I don't know Brad. I know that when you have options on the table that are both that good, it's going to be a really tough call. It's just what stage of the career does he think he's in? Yeah. And I know the option that Penske has on De Benedetto. They still have a little option that they could use. And 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 the thing it said, Brad Kozlowski, you could make this decision, you know, in September, right? Somewhere around there. So maybe a chance to evaluate this season, see how it goes. You know, they took, you know, Brad Paul Wolf, his longtime crew chiefs, moved over to Logano. They've kind of had some on races, some really off races this season. We'll see how a season goes. Um, but I think that could be a good thing. And it's not like Roush has been, they've been pretty good this year, better than they have been the past few years, at least Chris Busher has been in the playoffs all year, had another top 10 run, uh, going at Dover, uh, Ryan Newman, that's that six teams had some on and off races as well. So I think, I, I feel like it could be a good option, but like you said, it depends on what he feels like, what state he is in his career. And maybe he feels really confident that he could go over there and win at Roush Fenway and make it a better organization and put himself uh, in victory lane as well as his teammate, Chris Busher. And we'll see what uh, this could mean for Ryan Newman as well. Uh, yeah, as that's the other part, right? I mean, clearly it's shown that they want to move on from Ryan Newman. Yeah. And Ryan Newman is like the bionic man at this point. I mean, I don't feel like he's performing poorly. Um, I feel like he would still have another ride if he wanted to keep racing. Uh, he would be a guy that that should have probably a job as long as he really wants to have one, or we see that natural fall off that does ha it does happen, right? We saw that with Matt Kenseth there in the final year of his career. Nobody wants to see that. As far as I'm concerned, Ryan Newman's still getting the job done pretty well uh, in a car. So does Roush feel like they can make an upgrade to Kozlowski? Well, clearly they put that on the table. Um, and that puts Newman in kind of a weird spot, right? Like when you know management is actively trying to replace you, <laughs> Now, how does your relationship uh, change? And we talk about silly season, but boy, it is late right now, RJ. This feels early. Yeah. But when you're talking about ownership stake in a team, uh, probably these decisions have got to happen pretty early on. Well, these with these charters, everything's happening early. Everyone wants to pounce on them. We know Rick Ware is probably selling off at, uh, at least one or two of them uh, for next season. We know some charters could be moving around. We don't know where. We know a lot of teams are interested. We know colleague. Uh, is going to be in the hunt 2311 possibly looking for more junior motorsports possibly coming up there's a lot of uh it, it's starting earlier and earlier each year so we'll see what happens it's it's getting crazy 2022 silly season i didn't think we'd be talking about it now but there you go that's kind of the first bombshell. yeah that's kind of the first uh bombshell of the year so 
But we got to focus on on this weekend. We'll see how that shakes up this year, but focus on this weekend. Circuit of the Americas, we got practice qualifying um, for all the fans. Uh, yeah, tune into practice qualifying. Maybe we can see what the viewership's <laughs> looking like and, and bring it back uh, for next week's show uh, on Tuesday. So you got any, uh, got any predictions for this weekend? Any maybe cup, cup truck winners? Paul Menard's running trucks. I don't think we mentioned that. Paul Menard is returning to yeah. running trucks. <laughs> everybody's running everything this weekend yeah. uh, you're going to see everybody uh, i would say out there in the cup series i, I would look for um, those guys that got to go do the test uh down there i would look at rag kozlowski as uh, one of the guys that i'm looking at um as maybe one of the favorites uh out there a guy that's been able to make some laps around there in a car um but truex i mean i look at truex on a road course uh, just so good uh, he's been so 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 good chase elliott on a road course same thing just uh i'm gonna i'm gonna stick to the to the main the main guys uh that got down there and got to do that that road course test um they'd probably be the ones that i'm picking but but overall just in, heading into the weekend and, and to close us out here rj um 100 starts for me in the xfinity race um and we're right back uh to the same thing i felt the first time i ever went to an xfinity race which is nervous <laughs> because we're going back to we're going back to qualifying it's a place i haven't driven a stock car around yet um and we're not guaranteed into the race by any means nope. so yeah, it's my 100 start in a way it's a it's a lot like my first one uh, where nothing is guaranteed we got to go earn it and uh we're ready to go do that and it just makes me think in perspective of all the people that have had a part in my racing career uh to get, get me to here to get me to a point where I'm, I'm doing a podcast with you and people actually listen to it and uh and to get to be a part of the sport for this long and just take so many so many other people uh, besides just me driving the car yeah it's been awesome 100 100 coming up hopefully 100 more in the in, in the future and man unpredictability like you said that's that's what this weekend's gonna that's what this season's be, been so uh all three series gonna be at circuit america is gonna be fun so uh hopefully we have a lot to talk about next week as far as what has happened this weekend maybe some more sure we will bombshell news all right so that's been another episode of the drivers meeting podcast we'll see you next week if you made it this far we'd like to thank you for listening to the drivers meeting podcast today wherever you may be and hope you stay tuned for upcoming episodes on apple podcast and spotify and the believe podcast I'm not just Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.